Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Well, hello once again, and a very warm welcome back to the uh, Big Cruise Podcast. Of course, uh, welcome back if you are a returning listener, and a very warm welcome for the very first time if you are joining us uh, for the first show. Uh, This is episode 148, and uh, it was recorded over the weekend of the uh, 8th and 9th of July. Uh, My name is Baz, I am uh, just one of your hosts, and Chris will be joining us, as always, in just a moment or two. Uh, when he'll, of course, be bringing all of his uh, maritime history. We'll answer a listener question or two. And uh, you never know, you might surprise me with a fact or fiction as well. Now, a couple of thank yous. Um, first of all, for those of you that are listening on Spotify, we've seen a massive... I don't know if Spotify have changed something differently, um, but all of a sudden seen a massive uh, spike in contacting us or leaving uh, comments and questions for us. I believe on Spotify now, on each and every episode, there is a Q&A session. And if you put something in there, um, that lets us know. Um, and we uh, generally jump in and answer or publish uh, publish that comment. So if you are listening on Spotify, um, then maybe just leave us a comment there, just so we can gauge how many people are out there. Because there's obviously a lot of different podcast directories, and uh, we don't really care where you listen, just as long as you listen. <laughs> and uh, talking of listening, if you are able to, uh, to uh, share with somebody you think this show may appeal to, we will be eternally grateful. I'm going to get this show on the road, I think. Uh, we've got Chris standing by uh, on the line, and uh, let's start talking all things cruise. Enjoy the show. And always a great pleasure to welcome back our good friend and maritime historian, Chris Frame. Welcome back, mate. Thanks, Barry. How has your week been? Yeah, good. Good. And we actually, even though we're not in the same room, we do get to talk live this week yes uh, we do last week we uh we recorded everything separately and then wove it all back together again which uh which was interesting but uh, we got you there yeah you do a good job with that because it's uh, <laughs> not easy to get all the things lined up and timed up right <laughs> uh, we'll get that mate all good all good um yeah no, my week's been very good thank you and yourself yeah good week and uh you know just uh lots and lots of uh interesting things happening in the cruise industry as well so um looking forward to sharing that with everybody this week Mm, sounds good. Now, should we start off with a listener question? Let's do that. 
Sounds good. Okay, this one came in from Maya. I think it's pronounced Maya, M-A-Y-A, in the UK. Uh, Chris, can you please help settle a small family feud? Oh, dear. (laughs) I recently celebrated a birthday on a short QM2 cruise. We enjoyed the ship and cruise service, and being a shorter cruiser attracted a younger clientele who enjoyed the nightclub. My sister thinks the name of the nightclub on the QM2, which we know as G32, is from the location or the hull plate code. Mm. I, however, think it's from the ship's yard number. Please, Chris, help us settle this for once and for all. Oh, right. So, Maya, you are correct. G32 was the yard number for Queen Mary 2 at La Chantier de l'Atlantique shipyard in Saint-Nazaire in France. Um, and it was uh, the code that's given to that actual hull as it's being built. So all of the plates and pieces that came together went to G32, which became Queen Mary 2. Mm. Um, now, interestingly enough, your, your sister's comment um, is an interesting one because um, Queen Mary 2, or G32 as it was known when it was under construction, um, it was built using lots of different prefabricated sections. So each of those sections had its own like code so that they knew how to get it built into position, you know, could put it together by, like giant Lego, I suppose. I'm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, really simplifying it by saying that, but um, that's kind of the best way to imagine it. Um, but yes, the ship itself was G32. And what you might find interesting is that when they first announced Queen Mary 2, or Project Queen Mary, which later became Queen Mary 2, the original deck plans and um, uh, artist renditions for the nightclub actually showed a room that was called the Yacht Club, which was mm. what QE2's yacht club, uh, nightclub rather was called, and it's also the name of the nightclub on board the other two Cunardas, Elizabeth and uh, Victoria. And mm. the original renditions showed a room with a yacht-like theming with the uh, sails inside it, of course, ultimately, they changed that to G32, and it became a very industrial-looking space. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, they decided to do that in, I guess, in honor of the ship's build number, yard number, um, which is quite a, an important part of the ship's heritage. Mm, you know, yeah, think about the other queens. Uh, uh, Queen Mary was 534. Uh, Queen Elizabeth was 552. QE2, 736. And, of course, Queen Mary 2, G32. So... If Chantelard the Antique was building a ship after QM2, does that ship automatically get allocated G33, or is there no rhyme or reason to the, the actual number? No, no. They, they, yeah, so it goes up. So it will go G, G, G00 all the way through to G99. Then it goes mm. you know, the next letter up and the next letter up and the next letter up yeah. from there. Um, so H, H00 would follow um, yep. G. So I think... They're much further down the track now. Actually, it was a, it was a recent podcast. Now it's escaped me just just as I'm sitting here. But a recent podcast, you and I were 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 talking about one of the ships that's being built at La Chantier, and mm-hmm. um, it I think it was in the I's or the J's. So it has moved oh, on okay. quite a bit since since uh, yeah. since Queen Mary too. Just shows how many ships get built each year in the various different uh, shipyards around the world. Yeah. Well, you think of all the letters in the alphabet, and then all the you know numbers from zero to yeah. ninety-nine. There's quite a lot when you add them all together. <laughs> Love it. Good question there, Maya. And uh, I knew you'd know the answer to that, Chris. So well done once again. <laughs> now, uh, what have you got for us in maritime history this week? Oh, and we should also say happy birthday to Maya. I hope she had a great, uh, <laughs> great, yeah, great yes. birthday. 
course. Um, well, actually, this this listener question um, has prompted me to just kind of ad hoc, I suppose, talk about a little bit more about the building of Queen Mary too. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's, I've been doing a little bit of, um, you know, re-familiarizing myself with the, with the construction timeline of Queen Mary too for a few videos that I've recently done about mm-hmm. her propeller blades and about her funnel. And it's quite interesting because the ship's just, I mean, it's still kind of a modern day ship, but it's just old enough that some of the things that happened with the construction and the way that the ship was presented to the world is quite sort of old school compared to how we see it done today. So Queen Mary II um, was announced to the world after Carnival acquired uh, Cunard back in 1998. So Mm -hmm. they acquired it in April of 98, uh, a controlling stake um, in the company, um, and then they started looking at how they were going to sort of re reinvigorate and reorganize this this brand. And s- some months after that, they announced um, under the the then company was known as Cunard Line Limited, and the uh, the head of Cunard Line Limited was a man named Larry Pimentel, who's still mm-hmm. in the cruise in- industry to this day, um, but he was with um, with Carnival and, and Cunard for for that period of time. And they announced their intention to build the first new ocean liner in the generation to recreate the golden age of travel for those who missed it the first time, which I thought was a really nice, mm. very elegant line <laughs> um, back when they announced that. And the the first thing they had to do was work out, firstly, the design of the ship. And as we all know, um, Chief Naval Architect Stephen Payne was um, the lead architect on this ship. Mm-hmm. and. He is um, instrumental in the ultimate design that they ended up getting because he knew very, very well the benefits of building a true ocean liner over building a cruise ship dressed as an ocean liner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so was able to convince Cunard and Carnival that the investment was worthwhile for building a strong ocean liner to undertake 40-plus years of direct transatlantic crossings. Mm-hmm. So it meant that this ship itself was going to be something quite unusual because um, the last transatlantic liner that had been built by Cunard was QE2 back in 19, um, 1967. She was launched into service in 69. And in Cunard's fleet at the time, there was another ship called the, the Vistafjord, which had been renamed Coronia, and mm-hmm. it entered service in 1973 for Norwegian America Line. Cunard acquired it, but it was actually the last um, passenger ship built uh, a large passenger ship built at the British shipyards. So right. the companies and organizations and shipyards that had built the previous Cunardas had pretty much all stopped building large ships. Yep. So they had to then find a, a shipyard. And, um, you know, if I, if I asked, if I, if I had to sort of take, if I had to take a stab of the dark as who they might have, <laughs> might have looked at, you probably would think, um, you know, Fincantieri, <laughs> um, given that they're building so many ships these days. Um, I think Cavenia Massa Yards in Finland was also looked at, um, and the German shipyards at uh, a Blum and Hoss uh, shipyard in Hamburg, mm-hmm. and uh, Lloyd Weft and Bremerhaven. Yep. They, were, they were looked at. But um, ultimately, uh, Le Chantier de l'Atlantique was selected. It had this remarkable blend of a heritage of having built ocean liners. They'd been open for um, you know, for a very long time. They'd actually built the Normandy, 
mm-hmm. uh, back in oh, the wow. 19, um, yeah, yeah, the very famous ocean liner. Um, was lost during World War Two to when it was being converted into a into an American um, troop carrier, but uh, she'd captured the speed record back in the glory days when she was battling against the Queen Mary <laughs> for speed mm. and supremacy. Um, and and Lachanti had also built uh, the SS France, which was the longest passenger ship in service that had ever been in service at the time. Um, but they'd also been building modern-day cruise ships, so they had a great heritage of modern-day ships and they had a good heritage of, of ocean liners, so they kind of had this wonderful blend of you know, long-term connection to ocean liner construction but also yeah. the modern techniques and that sort of thing. And another yard that was looked at uh, briefly, I think it was, was um, Harland and Wolf, which uh, had built the Titanic and the Canberra, and yep. many, many ships. They, they were a yard in um, in Belfast, which was still building um, ships, but um, ultimately the selection was was given to um, Le Chantier. And this meant that the, the ship was given the yard number of G32, which we've already covered on today, and was um, laid down. So the first block of her keel was laid down on the 4th of July, um, 2002, which, of course, 4th of July is um, mm. Cunard's um, anniversary. It's it's uh, historic. But the 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 um, date of of Britannia's maiden voyage. Yeah. So, um, quite a momentous moment there. And back to the previous comment uh, from our listener um, listener question. Um, the re- reference to the way the ship was built using plates and and blocks. Queen Mary two was the first Cunard ship to be constructed. Uh, Cunard Queen, at least, to be constructed using prefabricated blocks of hull that were then put together, so they're kind of built um, yeah. on the side of the of the slipway, or, or rather of the dry dock, and then constructed by sort of putting these blocks together um, with a lot of the stuff that was already required, already built into them. Um, mm-hmm. They had used some prefabrication on QE2, but it was much less... Um, extensive than it was done on, on Queen Mary 2. So right. because of this, the ship actually, from la- from the time it was laid down to the time it floated out, um, was a relatively short period of time. It floated out on the 21st of March 2003. Um, oh, wow. And then, yeah, by December of 2003, it was doing its sea trials. And in January the following year, it was, um, it was christened by uh, Queen Elizabeth II and, um, and undertook its maiden voyage in, in January 2004. So... Um, it was a very quick sort of process once they got going because a lot of stuff could be built and staged off, off the dockyard and then yeah. brought into the, sh- to the ship and brought into the dry dock. And she wasn't launched down a slipway like the old liners were. It was a float out, which is, again, yeah, quite yeah. different. So, yeah, so there's a kind of a blend there because you've got some of the older elements of the way that the ship was um, designed with the ocean liner aspects, of course, bringing in lots of sort of looking back to ships that had worked in the past and then bringing the best of that to the modern day technologies and a lot of computer aid, which was very, very modern. But then when you saw the artist renditions in 2000, 2001, 2002, they were still in that era where artist renditions were done by hand drawings that were then scanned mm-hmm. rather than computer generated artwork. So yeah. the original brochures and that for Queen. Queen Mary Two were just they're just full of these beautiful hand illustrations, hand drawn illustrations of all the public rooms 
um, that, they, that they thought, which includes the original Yacht Club, which, of course, didn't get built, and the Britannia restaurant, which looks very different in those original renderings to what it looks like now. Um, but then they had the modern techniques of the, the block design, the prefabrication. So she kind of sits on this interesting point in history where the old mm. old designs and the new designs and the old style and the new style kind of all came together to create this magnificent ocean liner. <laughs> have you got a copy of that brochure by any chance? I have a few copies. <laughs> um, and actually, I, I, still have, um, I still have some of the, the materials um, that were sent out by Cunard's media team back when the, oh, when yeah. the ship was um, being developed. And in my, my little plug here, but in my latest video that went up yesterday, um, it's all about the design of the Queen Mary 2's funnel and it includes in it one of those original artist renditions. And if you if you look at it, even if you wanted to pause the, the video, just have a look, you can you can really see most of the ship is there, but there's a few things that change from those early designs to what it ended up looking like when it was ultimately put into service. <laughs> awesome. Love it. Um, I actually have a question about the funnel. We're going to save that until we talk about your video towards, uh, towards the end of the show. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, and I've just thought of another question, but that – well, I'll leave that because we're going to talk about Queen Anne in a little while um, in Cruise mm. News, and that will bring me back to. So just remind me if I forget uh, what was the question <laughs> about Queen Mary too. No worries. Um, no, awesome. I love all that, Chris. Brilliant. Well, you thank you very, very much for that. Um, let's just take a quick little pause, a little ad, and we'll be back with uh, the latest news. No worries. Subscribe now and rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. So, Chris, in the first of the news, uh, Penant has been making waves this week when they oh. are talking about uh, how they're heading towards zero carbon navigation. And uh, they've put some uh, artist renders together of what this uh, new ship will look like and oh. some of the stats and facts around it. And uh, pretty impressive, hey? Uh, this, it's so exciting, actually, to see a, a cruise line like this really committing to a design that, that builds, um, you know, care for the environment and carbon reducing carbon emissions actually into the physical design of the ship is remarkable these renderings of what they're going to look like are just superb mm. um the uh, the same time herty group actually came out with a concept which they're also considering so there's yeah. a couple of cruise lines that are really mm. vying to to get behind all of this these latest developments but uh in a nutshell, this uh, this ship, this vessel, which is yet to be named, um, they hope will uh, be uh, sailing by 2030. And uh, some of the things that are, are so impressive about her, she will have a sailing, a sail power system and a hull providing an average of 50% of the propulsion using the force of the wind. Now, there yeah. are two different renders with the two different styles of sails that uh, are available. Yeah. Of course, those renders are in the, the show notes there, but you've got a, a triangular almost traditional looking sail but it's a solid sail Mm. and then this kind of boxy square um six sails that are kind of jumping across the the the, the top of the ship there but uh, jump in and take a look there's there's something like each one of those depending on which design they go with but it's something like a thousand square meters of um like surface area for those sails to pick up on the on the wind and an abundance of um, solar panels as well to mm. provide the, the, the solar um, energy on board. Obviously, uh, converting heat from heat sources to uh, to warm water. Um, there's a whole list of different things that are going on, and so it's pretty exciting. But uh, yeah, mm. this will be the 14th vessel in Penance fleet. She'll be joining there by uh, 2030. Um, she'll have about 100 staterooms and be about 181 meters in length. But yeah, take a look at those images in the show notes. Yeah, it's just um, 
So, I mean, it is a while off, right? They say it's set for completion in twenty by 2030. But, you know, these actually, these renderings, particularly the one with the um, traditional-looking solid sails, remind me a lot of what some of these um, very eco-friendly super yachts are looking like. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing one in, in Monte Carlo. It looked like a cruise ship because it was so enormous, but it had these two giant sail or masts, basically, that yeah. the solid state sails came out of, um, and I don't I mean I don't think it was one hundred percent carbon neutral, but it, you, when you saw it getting kind of ready to go, it was really like sort of stepping back into seeing sort of the old style again of using mm. what the earth can provide. Um, yep. Coming back to the foray was quite exciting, and I think you know there's a lot of talk about all of the things that are being done to reduce the. Um, emissions that the traditional engines make, but building something like this into a design, this actually takes it past that, which I think is what we're both so excited about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, they've got Lippinant, which was their very first ship, which was mm-hmm. which sails most of the time under sail, so uh, doesn't yeah. require an awful lot of, of energy. So they're obviously going back to their roots and extending it even more. And yeah. I have been lucky enough to sail on Windsurf, which is the sailing, the largest sailing yacht of the Windstar fleet, and have sailed under sail um mm-hmm. and you, you literally feel the ship kind of lift up and be pulled out of the water it's yeah, a exciting. really impressive feeling you know they've also got um they're also looking at um designs to have giant um kind of like windsurfing um sails uh, parachutes that go up in front of cargo ships and oh, really? help pull them along yeah because the thing is like ultimately we we know we have to get you know, in a relatively short period of time, we know we have to get to sort of pretty much yep. zero emissions, right? And without having these kind of tough conversations and looking at these sorts of designs, it, it, it can't happen. So, so mm-hmm. I suppose even though there's quite you know a lot of um, uh, misinformation and resistance behind the scenes, people are actually investigating this sort of stuff. Yeah, um, no, because there's going to be a market for it. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Great steps forward, I think. Very much so. Yes. Now, mate, uh, heading back to Cunard for the next bit of news, and uh, I'm sure you've already uh, ordered your personal copy of this uh, this poster, uh, which <laughs> has been created. It's a 1920s style uh, cutaway of uh, Queen Anne to mark the 183rd birthday of Cunard. Yeah, so uh, an artist named Dominic Bulka was commissioned to create this this uh, design, this this image, um, and it's quite interesting the way that they they went through it. So it's kind of like a bit of a play on the advertising posters that you saw back mm. in the 1910s and 1920s where they would sort of show the ship and cut away parts of it so that you could see it but this sort of takes it for a bit more of a modern twist um he had to sort of hand sketch each element of the queen anne's interior um but has also popped in quite a few interesting little easter eggs into the design as well <laughs> um I love some of these. yeah i think um the 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 bellhops feeding the hippo in the, in the swimming pool is quite yeah. an interesting one um <laughs> Which, Which is, is actually, a twist on a tale of something that actually happened on board, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From um, it was back in the day, you couldn't stick animals in, in airplanes to move them around so easily. So they used to have to transport animals for for zoos and that sort of thing on ships. Um, so there's a whole heap of um, information and a story behind it, which you can um, which you can see in the show notes. But um, they also have um, included some of the famous uh, people who have. Yeah. Um, sailed with the ship. Uh, they, they kind of hinted that um, Sir Samuel Cunard himself is in there. 
um, Nelson Mandela, who of course sailed with the QE2 back in 1998, um, and David Bowie. No, it's it's a an impressive poster. Now, obviously, the 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 sketch of the cutaway of the ship isn't necessarily true to life as such, but I was surprised how flat the bottom of the ship was. I I, I was expecting more of a keel below the waterline, um, mm. which obviously they have on Queen Mary too. I know they don't have it on Victoria and uh, Elizabeth, but uh, yeah, I don't know why I was expecting um, more of a traditional shape. I think. No, yeah, no. The, the modern modern cruise ships they call them flat flat bottom boats, <laughs> um, which of course is a significant difference in the in the design philosophy between those ships which are required to undertake regular deep water transits, um, and and um, and are built for speed and the hydrodynamic aspects that they require for that, and the the ships that are are built more for the stability on the um, on the sort of more coastal runs. Yeah, I just thought that she'd probably do a lot more, not a lot more. I know Queen Mary 2 will always do the majority of them, but I thought she might undertake some uh, transatlantics. There might be a bit more need for a bit more stability maybe, but yeah. There's definitely enough. I mean, there's definitely, who knows what, Cunard will have access to a lot more insights than than we do, but there's definitely Mm. a a market for Queen Mary 2's transatlantics. They they are putting her on more and more and more of those. Um, But, you know, like Elizabeth and Victoria were both slightly modified to allow them to be more comfortable as transatlantic cruise yeah. ships. Um, and they had their bows reinforced and they were lengthened slightly based on the traditional Vista design. Um, but there's, there again, they've got the same sort of underwater profile. Um, and, you know, I think we've mentioned it before, but if you Google QE2 and Queen Victoria 2007, I want to say, 2008, 2008 transatlantic crossing, um, mm-hmm. You can see some really remarkable pictures of the two ships. Um, one will be from Victoria looking at QE2, where you see the whole underside of the ship sort of come out of the water and ride over the waves. Oh, and yeah. then the other one is a photograph that was taken in the opposite direction, and it's Queen Victoria in the same sea state, and the whole bow is kind of missing under the wave as it crashes over the front of the ship. Oh, and wow. it just that's just, you know, Queen Victoria wasn't unsafe in that scenario, but she doesn't handle the water in the same way an ocean liner does. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Interesting. Um, Next up, mate, we're talking close to home, certainly for us here in WA. Uh, Coral Expeditions, who are very strong in the Kimberley and uh, coastal discovery around Australia, they've just announced a brand-new itinerary, mate, and it's a bit of a cracker, and it's round trip out of Fremantle. Yeah, so it's a 10-night voyage, um, and it's on the uh, Coral Adventurer, which is – one that's you know, pretty popular in, in these waters. She's popped mm. through a few times before. Um, and it's actually going to follow the um, migration of the humpback whales, Baz. Yeah, no, it'll be, be a fabulous time of the year. And it's also a great time of year for um, the, the spring wildflowers, of course, and uh, visiting all of the, uh, the the great food and wine providers down in the southwest, which we're, of course, extremely well known yeah. for. Lots of facts around uh, – what you can see and do on this particular voyage in the show notes there. But this is a departure in uh, October, 5th of October, 2024, departing Fremantle. They're calling it the Whales and Trails of Western Australia. And it's mm-hmm. a beautiful 10-night voyage. If you want to discover more of the southwest of WA, highly recommend that one. Sounds lovely. Next up, mate, we're heading over to the UK with P&O Cruises, who are offering fun in the sun. They are, yes. So they're taking a... Um, voyages out uh, with uh, Avia and Britannia into the Mediterranean. Um, so they've got a, a summer season throughout um, and a spring season throughout 2024 and 2025. 
and these are voyages out of Southampton, but they're mm. um, offering a pretty generous onboard spending um, for the Sea View cabins, Baz. Yeah, six hundred and forty pound. Now, that obviously depends yeah. on which market you're in, but yeah, yeah I think yeah, they've yeah. pretty much doubled what uh, what they would normally offer. And we don't often talk about promotions, but I I know that this is uh, popular with the, the the UK listeners, so I thought I'd weave this one in. But yeah, mm. six hundred and forty pound per cabin on a sea view there. Um, if you book by thirty one July on a selection of thirteen and fourteen night Mediterranean voyages on Arvia and Britannia, yeah, and what I think would you spend your six hundred and forty dollars on? <laughs> Well, I'd probably end up in the um in the in the logo shop buying a whole heap of um maritime <laughs> stuff just because I'm a big 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 maritime history nerd. <laughs> um you know what I should say is that um if you're if you've got six hundred and forty pounds, you should go to the, the shop and ask for um multiple copies of our books, you know. <laughs> um but you know what uh, what's interesting, Baz, before I ask you what you'd spend your money on, but it is also interesting to see um ships the size of Avia and Britannia being dedicated to these Mediterranean Southampton voyages. It just goes to show the strength of those cruise, those cruises and the demands of doing that sailing out of Southampton. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, 640. Um, I'd spend it pretty easily, I reckon. Yeah, the liquor <laughs> um, shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drinks on board, maybe a spa treatment or something for, mm. for Sam and our wife. Um, yeah, of yeah. course, because your onboard credit, you can spend on whatever you want, right? It's not just the shops. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Short excursions, uh, you name it. Good idea. I think a spa mm. treatment sounds like it's just the right uh, right thing for the moment. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, next up, Chris, and last in the news for this week, um, Viking, who win award after award after award, have been voted. Sorry, have been voted number one river and ocean line in the luxury travel advisor awards. Yes, I know, and you know the the way that this company has just kind of gone from strength to strength in the last you know decade is quite remarkable, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and in fact, at the same time of this uh, these awards being announced this week, they also launched a brand new ship um, for the the ocean fleet yet again, and they've also announced this week that they're going to be adding a fifth sane ship. So it's a slight variation mm. of the long ship. Um, which they use on the European waterways, but it is uh, slightly shorter in length because that allows them to go right into the heart of Paris and pretty mm-hmm. much under the Eiffel Tower, whereas the longer vessels over a certain meterage do have to stay um, outside. So, yeah, continue to go from strength to strength in the river, the ocean, and the expedition fleet. Well done to, to the team at Viking. It's amazing. Yeah, congratulations. Now, mate, uh, videos. We uh, touched on the fact you've got another video out, which you uh, are doing pretty regularly nowadays. Well done, all of them. And uh, Thank you. you- this video was um, all around the the height or the the lack of height of the funnel on board uh, Queen Mary Two. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware that the funnel was particularly short, but was it compared to previous Cunardas? Yeah, so that's the interesting thing is that when you stand on Queen Mary Two's top deck and you look back at the funnel, it is supremely imposing. Like it's big and it feels yeah. like it has a real presence to it. But a lot of that presence, I suppose, comes from the cowling around the base where the scoop is if you if you look at the yeah. qm2 from the front you notice that the big wind scoop that sits around her funnel actually steps down to the lower deck and the front part is painted red and it's kind of flat at the front which mm-hmm. means that the forward profile of the funnel which sort of sits in between that looks very strong go around the back and have a look and you'll notice how much less height there appears to be and the reason mm-hmm. is because it sits on top of the box that has the gas turbines in it yeah. and or the or the it's basically the, the the casing for the gas turbines 
yep. which stops at the very front part of the funnel. So from the forward profile of the funnel looking back, it looks like it's quite tall because it's sort of the paint and the design sort of encompasses the front part of that oh. casing. Yeah, but yeah. from the side and from the back, it looks quite squat because the casing comes up and then the whole lot sort of pushed up from there. Now, right. if you look at it compared to QE2's funnel, it's significantly smaller. But QE2's funnel was monstrous. It was huge. <laughs> um, <laughs> and QE2's funnel was bigger in, 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 its, in its 1987 onwards iteration um, than, than the original Queen's, but then they, of course, had two or three. So mm, yeah. um, the, the video goes into it in a lot more detail it also goes into the reasons why which i'm not going to talk about here because we're in the video um but why that why the funnel was was shortened um and of course the original artwork concepts show something a little bit different as well so it's um a good idea to to have a look um, yes absolutely jump on youtube and uh, look for that video or look in the show notes and find the link to uh to chris's youtube channel uh such such great videos coming out mate well done on all of those Thank you. And I actually, I know I promised you, I'm being a bit, a bit mean. I know I said to you, I'm not going to do a fact or fiction, but I've got one for you if you're willing oh, to. Oh, no. <laughs> if you're willing to take it. I breathed a sigh of relief when you said you didn't have one this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, let's do fact or fiction. Hit me with it. Fact or fiction. All right. So, you know, the modern day P&O fleet includes a ship called Britannia. Mm-hmm. And you also would know that Britannia is a particularly important name for a different cruise brand that's also part of Carnival UK. So the fact or fiction, which of course is Cunard, because Cunard's first ship was Britannia. Mm-hmm. So when Britannia came into service, there was a lot of questions as to why they would have named it Britannia. So the fact or fiction this week, Baz, is because Carnival UK owns both Cunard and P&O, the P&O ship Britannia, its name is actually a tribute to the sister brand's first ship Britannia. Mm, sounds too good to be true. I'm going to say fiction. I reckon there's a bit of con- controversy in the background somewhere. Ah, okay. I thought I could trick you, but no. So you're you're right. There there is there is precedent for P and O to have a ship called Britannia. Okay. <laughs> so P and O in its history, back in back in 1887, they had a ship that was put into service. It was one of four ships built in the um uh in the year of both Queen Victoria and P and O's uh, jubilee. Um, it was actually a jubilee class ship, and it was oh. the, the this this particular one. They could carry up to 250 first-class passengers, which was considered quite a quite a high number back then. Um, she was put into service in 1887, and she was called Britannia. So both companies had equal rights, I suppose, to using the name <laughs> Britannia, and that's why we see uh, P&O with Britannia today because, of course, Cunard has all their ships at the moment with the Queen prefix and don't use the IA ending, so there's no confusion there in the market. So well done. I should have just left it. I should have left it. You're too good. <laughs> no, I, to be honest, I thought there was going to be a bit more of a plot twist than, than that. I thought, I don't know, I thought there was going to be some sort of dispute or discussion as to who could technically call oh. name their ship Britannia. Well, who knows what happens behind closed doors, hey? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm sure that there was a conversation that was had because, of course, there's a lot of... Um, 
heritage there, but I suppose mm. because both um, both companies have have that long, long heritage. And in fact, P and O's heritage is just as rich as Cunard's, um, yeah. and it, it in itself is an extremely interesting brand. And today exists as you know a brand that is shared amongst multiple regions and com- companies and countries. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of kind of co claiming of history, I suppose, with a brand that has had such a long or a company name that's such a long heritage. Um, but it just popped into my head then because we were talking about <laughs> Cunard earlier and Britannia going to the Mediterranean. And I thought, I might be able to trick you, but no, you're too good. <laughs> I've done about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you sailed on the new Britannia, the, the P&O Britannia? I have not sailed on it, but I have toured it. Um, oh, okay. And I actually did a, um, a video tour of it. It's on my YouTube channel. Um, it's the title of does Britannia rule the waves? <laughs> I thought that was quite clever <laughs> back in the day. But um, have you? No. And I, when she first came out, I really wanted to because um, mm. I'd done the um, the traditional older P&O UK ships. Sure. And Britannia kind of brought in a new, not a new era because they still had family-friendly ships, but it was kind of the first bigger ship with more bells and whistles, I guess. Yeah. Um, but no, never got to do it. So I'd be, uh, be I might dig out your video and have a little look, actually. Jump onto yeah, yeah. YouTube. And um, Britannia itself, it's because um, it's it's actually a ship that's built on a pr- Princess Cruises platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, I think it's the Royal Royal Princess class. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah. Um, and you know, built by uh, our dear friends at Fincantieri. <laughs> um, yeah, Royal class cruise ship, I think it is. Um, she has the twin funnels, obviously, that sets her apart. But because she's built on a princess platform there's some things about the design of the ship that are a little bit different to other P&O ships and oh, okay so i absolutely loved britannia i thought she had anyway, i was only on board for a day but i thought she had an absolutely fantastic um feel about her and energy and vibe but she doesn't have a promenade deck and oh. P&O is so so like it despite what you might think of it today it it does have its heritage like rooted in a deep history and that includes being able to go out and walk around the deck of the ship and so i I just found that um, a bit jarring and in fact put a comment in that in one of my my videos and i have a lot of people message and say the same thing and like she's a perfectly beautiful ship Mm. but it just goes to show i think people really love that ability to go out and and promenade still and Mm. you'll notice it in avia and iona the promenade deck is back so (laughs) um So yeah, and look, I saw it. you the first time the the food heroes concept was introduced, where they have obviously the 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 celebrities that kind of enhance or uh, have the venues for the yeah. the wine tasting and the different uh, specialty restaurants. Was that a first on Britannia, or did it exist prior? I want to say that it was on um, Ventura and uh, Azura before Britannia, okay. because I'm pretty sure that when I was on. Uh, Azura, they had it and the Glass House, I think, which was the oh, name yeah, of the yeah. area. They have it on Aurora too um, now, and uh, you know I've sailed with Aurora quite a lot. She's she's the oldest now, and the and the the last ship built for the P and O Steam Navigation Company before it was mm-hmm. um, sort of spun off and then acquired by Carnival. Um, and um, she she's got that sort of traditional feel, uh, which is a bit different to the, the modern ones, um, and. Oriana was another one. Like the last year that it was in service, I managed to get on board, and that ship itself—I mean, it just had so much personality. Um, uh, it was—it was a lovely ship. But um, they'd brought some of that stuff in as well to the to the to the newer ships 
um, to the older ships rather. They brought some of those yep. those features across. So, um, but but correct me if I'm wrong. If you're if you're listening and you think no no he doesn't know what he's talking about, um, <laughs> let us know because I can't say that with any um, any certainty. I still say that one of the best couriers I've ever had was on uh, a PLO ship, PLO UK yeah. ship. Mm, yeah, which yeah. one? Mm, good question. She had pink bathrooms. That's the main thing I remember about her. Oh, are you sure? Was, it might have been Oriana. <laughs> she she did at that point have a kids club, but she doesn't any longer. That probably helps identify. Ah, that's Aurora. Ah, okay. Yep, that, makes, that yep. rings a bell now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Aurora, Aurora no, she, had, she, had the no, had the really well. Like. There was Aurora and um, Arcadia, which are both adults only ones now. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I know Aurora had the kids club and it was removed. Um, yeah, they that, put cabins that, there now. Yeah. Um, okay. Yep. But. Uh, they have this nice. I mean, Aurora itself. She's she's that she's that more classic. She, she's basically the clo- the, like a really close to ocean liner cruise ship, if that makes sense. And yeah, she's got the tiered after, doesn't she? With the she the, does. The, yeah, beautiful. And in fact, there's quite a few things about the Norwegian Spirit that reminded me of Aurora. And then you find out they're both built at the same shipyard, and you're like, oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, good mate. Good, uh, good little chat this week. And uh, of course, yeah. for the listeners, uh, enjoy Chris's videos out on the YouTube channel. Um, and if you have got a question or a fact or fiction. Um, then uh, send it through to myself if uh, you want to want me to weave the question in for Chris. But if you want to surprise me with a fact or fiction, make sure you j- jump onto Chris's channels and uh, contact him so that I don't see it before we do the show. Sounds good. And I hope that everybody could hear the um, audio okay this week from me because I'm actually recording this in a car park in my car because I was out and about. <laughs> and so um, if it doesn't sound quite as clear as usual, that's the reason why. But um, hopefully okay. it came through all right. I'm sure it will be, mate. No problem at all. Thanks once again, mate. So good. And we will talk again same time next week. Sounds good. Take care. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.